Welcome to the River Fellowship Podcast. This week, lead pastor Daryl Anderson takes us to Joshua 23 and 24. Discover how Joshua 23 and 24 and the game Jenga relate to one another as three inevitable tipping points are identified. If you'd like to learn more about River Fellowship in Amarillo, Texas, go to rfamarillo.org. How many of you are familiar with the game Jenga? Anybody familiar with the game Jenga? Man, a lot of you guys need to get out more. Well, Jenga is a game that you play you know, with teams. You're basically building a tower. And the way you play it is you find these little individual pieces that you can take out without causing a major problem and you put them on the top and you start to build a tower. So you take turns, one person goes, the next person goes, and you just keep going until you build the tower and you put it here on top. So you kind of find these little pieces that go through here. You can actually build it pretty tall. We um, had the, the RF students at our house Thursday night and so some of them actually played this Jenga and they did really well, built it really high now, I'm not going to build this for a long time because I'm sure you don't want to watch me play this game for 15 minutes. But this is basically the idea of Jenga. Now, with Jenga, what happens is you continue to build it up until at some point there's going to be something that somebody's going to pull out and it's going to be one that doesn't work well. And all of a sudden, <laughs> things start to happen. And then there's always that one time when you pull it out finally. Oh, look at that. Okay, I'm really trying to lose. You finally have that one, and that's what happens. It changes everything. All these series of minor moves, minor choices, culminates in this one big thing that happens. Now, in Jenga, if this happens, you lose the game. Now, for our purpose this morning, as we make application, I don't want you to think about that one decision or that one move as losing the game. I want you to think about it as a tipping point. One choice, one decision, one move becomes a tipping point in our life. Now, an author, Malcolm Gladwell, wrote a book entitled The Tipping Point. And here's how he defined that. The moment of critical mass, the threshold, the boiling point. Someone else defined it as the point at which the buildup of minor changes and incidents reaches a level that triggers a more significant change. Just like you do with Jenga. All these little minor moves eventually culminates in this one big transition and change. Another definition, the critical point in an evolving situation that leads to a new and irreversible development. The last definition, the crisis stage in a process when a significant change takes place. Now the tipping point, the term was thought to originate with epidemiology or the study of epidemics. And the tipping point was when that infectious disease 
got to the point where it was no longer able to be locally contained and it became widespread. That was the tipping point right there. But we all know now that that term is just kind of spread all through different facets of life. I believe there is such a thing as spiritual tipping points. Now my definition for spiritual tipping point is simply this, a decision that changes everything. It's a decision that changes everything. Let me invite you to turn to Joshua chapter 24. We're actually going to end our Joshua series this morning. I'm leaving a few nuggets on the table, but we'll come back and get those at another time. So we're going to end it here um, this morning. Joshua 24, we actually looked at some of these passages uh, several weeks ago in the context of generational faith. I want to look at them again, but now in the context of a spiritual tipping point. Chapter 24 We'll pick it up in verse 14. So you know the context. Joshua is advanced in years. He's about to die. He knows he's about to die. So he's making preparations. He's, he gathers all his leadership of Israel and begins to, to share some information in his heart and give them some uh, a kind of a farewell speech. In that, he recounts all these things that God has done for them you know, over the years and over the campaign, which brings us now to verse 14. In that context, he tells the Israelites... Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your forefathers worshipped before the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your forefathers served beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord." Then the people answered, far be it from us to forsake the Lord to serve other gods. It was the Lord our God himself who brought us and our fathers up out of Egypt from that land of slavery and performed those great signs before our eyes. He protected us on our entire journey and among all the nations through which we traveled. And the Lord drove out before us all the nations, including the Amorites who lived in the land. We too will serve the Lord because he is our God. Joshua said to the people, you are not able to serve the Lord. He is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your rebellion and your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, he will turn and bring disaster on you and make an end of you after he has been good to you. But the people said to Joshua, no, we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said, you are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen to serve the Lord. Yes, we are witnesses, they replied. Now then, said Joshua, throw away the foreign gods that are among you and yield your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, we will serve the Lord our God and obey him. Here we see a type of spiritual Jenga, if you will. All these minor events and moves and decisions have been taking place in the lives of the Israelites as they go through the the. the the promised land with all the battles, they've seen everything that God's done and all of those things has led up now to this one spiritual tipping point where he says in verse 15, choose today whom you will serve. Now it's interesting to me that right after he tells them to choose who to serve, that they respond in verse 18 and says, okay, we'll serve the Lord, he's our God. And then in verse 19, Joshua comes back and says, oh, you're not able to. So he spends his time telling them to serve the Lord, they say, okay, and it's like, no, sorry, you really can't do it anyway, I'm just kidding. What's he doing? Well, really what he's doing is trying to make them understand that this cannot be a trivial decision. 
it, I forgot what verse it is, but they, when he says, we will serve the Lord, why? Because he is our God. In other words, really, it sounds deep there, but really what they're saying is, hey, we're Jews. Of course we're gonna serve the Lord. We've been doing this. Of course, it, it's just very flippant in their mind right now. Well, yeah, we're gonna do that. And so Joshua picks up on that and he says, no, you don't understand. This is a serious decision that you need to think through and consider. And so they do, and we just read that through, and finally they come to the place and say, we will serve the Lord. Now, we know it's a tipping point because in verse 31, it says, Israel served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived them. In other words, that generation from that point on continued to serve the Lord the rest of their lives. So it was a spiritual tipping point that what? It changed everything for the rest of their life. Now, I think there are a variety of spiritual tipping points, examples of tipping points in Scripture. Let me share just a few of them with you. See if any of these will connect with you. One tipping point in Genesis chapter three, when Eve is looking at this fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and she's trying to decide, should I partake of this fruit or not? She already knows what God has said. She already knows what God has commanded not to do. She already knows what the result of that will be. So she has a decision to make. The serpent comes in tempt, so she's at a spiritual tipping point. Will I do what God has told me to do, or will I now do what I'm being tempted to do? And we know the decision that she made and it changed everything forever. In Mark chapter 10, there's another story of a rich young ruler. Some of you are very familiar with this story. The ruler comes to Jesus and he says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So Jesus makes a statement. He says, you know the commandments, and then he lists some of them. The ruler says, yes, I've been keeping those since I was a boy. In other words, all these minor Decisions and choices all led up now to this point where then Jesus says, okay, here's the tipping point for you. Go and sell everything that you have and give it to the poor. And the passage there says that he, his face fell. He went away sad because he was a man of great wealth. In other words, he was at a tipping point where he was going to choose Jesus or am I going to choose my stuff? And he chose his stuff because he loved his stuff more than Jesus. There's another story back in 2 Kings chapter five. You may not know this guy, his name is Naaman. And he was the commander for the king of Aram. He had leprosy and they had gone to battle with Israel and they had uh, brought some hostages and they had a, a Jewish woman that was in their household. She knew about the prophet Elisha. So she tells Naaman, if you'll go to Elisha, he'll heal you of this leprosy. So through a series of events, he gets to the house of Elisha. Well, Elisha ticks him off because he doesn't come to the door and talk to him himself. He sends a messenger to Naaman and says, hey, if you'll go and dip seven times in the Jordan River, you'll be healed. Well, now he's really ticked off because he has all these rivers in Damascus. He doesn't want to go dip in the Jordan River. He wants to go back to his own rivers. So he wouldn't do it. Finally, his friends convince him to. Now, there's a deeper um, principle taking place. There's a, a deeper spiritual warfare taking place here. Really what's taking place is that Naaman is a pagan. He's an idol worshiper. And so he's going over here to Elisha, who Elisha said, bring him to me. Why? So he'll know that there is a prophet in Israel. In other words, that there is a God in Israel. So Naaman is this idol worshiper pagan, and he's saying, I don't want to do this stuff over in Israel because my God's better than that God. Our land's better than this land. So he has this battle taking place. His friends finally convince him 
at this tipping point, are you going to do what he says? He does, he dips, he's healed of his leprosy. When he's healed of his leprosy, here's what he says in verse 15 of 2 Kings 5. He says, now I know there is no God in all the world except the God of Israel. Verse 17, he continues, that I will never again make burnt offerings and sacrifices to any other God but the Lord. We see this tipping point of Naaman when he's confronted with his gods versus the God of Israel. And he realizes who the God of Israel is and what he does. And from that point on, he never worshiped another God but the God of Israel. Now we see another tipping point. It's the life of Peter. I don't know about you. I love Peter because he acts before he thinks. He does a lot of kind of just weird stuff. I just like that character. He's very real, just kind of like we are, always kind of doing the wrong thing at the wrong time and then having to kind of backtrack sometimes. But there's two tipping points that were really significant in Peter's life. You remember he denied Jesus Christ during the arrest of Jesus, cursed at him, didn't know him. And during that time now, Peter feels like a failure. He feels depressed. He feels like he's useless now. But Jesus comes back, and we all know the story. After his resurrection, he meets with Peter, and he has this spiritual tipping point with Peter, and he says, do you love me? And if you love me, feed my sheep. And so in this dialogue, Peter finally realizes, hey, even though I failed God, God still, Jesus still wants to use me. So he has this tipping point, will I still love him? And if so, will I feed his sheep? He has another tipping point in Acts chapter 10. One of the prejudice that Peter had was he felt like salvation, the gospel, Jesus Christ was only for the Jews. It wasn't for the Gentiles. So he wouldn't go to the Gentiles and speak the truth. It was just for the Jews. Well, he has a dream where God begins to change his heart. At the same time, Cornelius is having a dream who is a commander in the Italian regiment. He is not a God-fearer. He's a Gentile. So he's having a dream that these two are going to connect. Long story short, in the process of this connection, Peter has this spiritual tipping point, really, of prejudice and ministry. Will the gospel go to the Gentiles or not? And he realizes in the dream and in his connection with Cornelius, he says in Acts 10, now I know that, I'm paraphrasing, that the gospel's for everyone, that Jesus Christ is for everyone. And it changed the ministry perspective of Peter. I think the best tipping point in scripture is Jesus Christ himself. We see him at the Garden of Gethsemane when he's saying, Father, let this cup pass from me. His humanity is struggling against the divinity. We see this spiritual warfare taking place. This tipping point, will he go to the cross? And he says, not my will, but yours. And he goes to the cross and that tipping point changes everything forever. It leads to the cross that is our greatest tipping point. Now we can move from death to life. We can move from darkness into light. All of these tipping points in scripture. That leads to some spiritual tipping points in our own life. Let me add to the definition now. First definition of spiritual tipping point was a decision that changes everything. Let me add to it. A tipping point addresses the heart and the will. Not the mind, not the head, not knowledge. It addresses the heart and the will. If we go back to our story here in Joshua 24, the Israelites knew everything about God. They knew the law. They got it from Moses. They knew the commandments of God. They knew what they were supposed to do. They knew all this stuff that God had been doing, all these miracles that God had performed. They knew all of this. It was head knowledge. They didn't need to be told anything. What Joshua is addressing in them is their heart and their will. Will you be passionate 
about the Lord your God? And will you make the commitment that I'm going to serve him and follow him? That leads me to share three tipping points with you this morning. These are tipping points that every one of us will face in life. Can't get around it. Here's the first one. It's the tipping point of salvation. If you look here in verse 14, Joshua tells the Israelites to fear the Lord. Now that word fear is a great Old Testament word. It means to revere, to give reverence. It means to consider worthy. It means to consider awesome. But there's something a little bit deeper than that that leads to that. Really what it suggests is to know who God is and know what God has done. And when you know who God is and you realize what God has done, that causes me to naturally revere him and consider him awesome when you consider that. And for us, that leads to the point of salvation because that's what salvation is all about. When we realize who God is and we realize what he has done for us, that leads us to the point of salvation. God says in John 3, 16, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Whoever believes in him would not perish, have everlasting life. Jesus says in John 14, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Romans 5 says that God showed his love. He demonstrated his love that while we're sinners, he died for us. All this is leading us up to this spiritual tipping point. In other words, when we take the time to really realize who God is and all of his holiness and his majesty and his love and his grace, and we realize what he's done for us, he's given his only son to die on a cross for us. That brings us to a spiritual tipping point called salvation, where we have to decide Will I follow Christ or not? And this is what we saw in the story of the rich young ruler. When he brought to this point, do I choose Christ or do I choose something else? My prayer is if you're here this morning and you're facing that tipping point that you'll make the choice to follow after Christ. But here's a second tipping point. You've already received Christ. You've already encountered that tipping point. Here's a second tipping point for you. It's a tipping point of lifestyle. Look in verse, verse 14, it continues. It says, throw away the gods your forefathers worshiped beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. Throw away those other gods. Now, I don't know if he's saying literally, I don't know if the Israelites had actually gathered up some idols of these nations that they were capturing or if they had brought some with them when they left Egypt. I don't know if it's literally go get them and throw them away or if it's more of a figurative language. Get them out of your heart. Get them out of your passion. Don't deal with those gods. But either way, the meaning's the same thing. What he's saying is choose who you're going to follow after. Choose who you're going to pattern your life after. Because the connotation here is if you choose to follow God, that's going to produce one type of lifestyle. If you choose to follow these other gods, that's going to produce a whole different kind of lifestyle. So choose here at this tipping point of lifestyle who you're going to choose. For us, the application is a little bit different. Really what the choice for us as lifestyle is, will I choose to follow the flesh or will I choose to follow the spirit? Will I choose to be obedient to God's direction and design or will I choose to be disobedient? Will I choose holiness or will I choose to live in sinfulness? Now, when I use this word lifestyle, that probably has some negative connotation with some of you right when I said it. Okay, here he goes talking about lifestyle and doing this and don't. It, it, all kind of negative images 
come up in some of our heads when we talk about that. There are two negative connotations with lifestyle that I want, to, I want you to throw out of your mind. The first is legalism. A list of do's and don'ts. And as long as you do the do's and don't do the don'ts, everything is good. And so legalism in its essence is working and doing the right things, omitting the wrong things so that I can earn favor with God, so that I can earn some brownie points with God, so that God will love me, that he will accept me, that I will be useful to him. That's what legalism is. So if I can run this train like this and, and do all this stuff, God's going to love me and accept me. That's not what I'm talking about. Okay, just throw that out of your head. The second thing I'm not talking about is self-righteousness. We sing a song sometimes, King of My Heart, the chorus, part of the chorus says about God, you are good, good, oh, with a self-righteous thing, I am good, good. That's their theme song. It's all about look at me. And because they are doing the do's, they're not doing the don'ts. For some reason, they think they're extra special, they're extra holy, and because they are so self-righteous, God loves them more. It's kind of like the Pharisees, because I do look like this, I'm extra special. I'm not talking about that. Throw that out of your head. So lifestyle has nothing to do with legalism, has nothing to do with self-righteousness. What am I talking about? I'm talking about life. When I talk about the spiritual tipping point of lifestyle, choosing who you will pattern your life from. I'm talking about the concept of life. Because making the right decision at this tipping point is all about having the opportunity to experience real life. Life just like God intended for you to, ex to experience. Because following other gods, following the flesh, following the world, following the things in this world, it's only going to lead to destruction, discouragement, disillusionment. But when you choose to follow after the design that God has for you, that leads to life and joy and fulfillment and peace to all the fruit of the Spirit that we talk about. Flip back to Joshua chapter 23. Let's look back at the Israelites again. And they face this same tipping point of ministry. We pick it up in verse 6. Joshua tells the Israelites, be very strong. Be careful to obey all that is written in the book of the law of Moses without turning aside to the right or to the left. Do not associate with these nations that remain among you. Do not invoke the names of their gods or swear by them. You must not serve them or bow down to them. But you are to hold fast to the Lord your God as you have until now. The Lord has driven out before you great and powerful nations. To this day, no one has been able to withstand you. One of you routes a thousand because the Lord your God fights for you, just as he promised. So be very careful to love the Lord your God. But if you turn away and ally yourselves with the survivors of these nations that remain among you, and if you intermarry with them and associate with them, then you may be sure that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you. Instead, they will become snares and traps for you, whips on your backs and thorns in your eyes until you perish from this good land, which the Lord your God has given you. Verse 16, if you violate the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you and go and serve other gods and bow down to them, the Lord's anger will burn against you and you will quickly perish from the good land that he's given you. 
Here's this tipping point we see for the Israelites. He's given them two choices. On one choice, they can choose to associate with the godless nations. They can bow to the gods. They can intermarry with them and they can ally themselves with these people and these gods. Or they can choose to hold fast to the Lord and to love the Lord, their God. Now, if they make the wrong choice and they choose to align themselves with these other gods, what did it say in verse 13? It said they'll no longer have their enemies driven out. They will become snares and traps to them. They will become whips on their back and thorns in their eyes. Now, let's translate that for us today. We have a tipping point of lifestyle. And we can choose to live our life according to what the world says we should, our flesh says we should, etc. Or we can choose to live it by God's design. If we choose the wrong one and allow our flesh and the world to dictate how we live, the translation here is we will become powerless against our enemy. And we have an adversary, our enemy, who pursues us. And this opens us up and now we're powerless to defend ourselves against that enemy. Number two, we'll live in bondage. We become entrapped, we become ensnared and those things that we think we would enjoy become snares and traps in our life and now we're living in bondage instead of in freedom. Thirdly, we're gonna experience a lot of pain and a lot of consequences. It says it's gonna be like whips on the backs and thorns in the eyes. Both of those are very painful. So we're gonna to begin to experience some pain and some destruction in those negative dynamics because we have aligned ourselves with our flesh and with sin rather than with God. So what's the proper decision when we're faced with this tipping point of lifestyle? It tells us here in the passage two things. Hold fast to the Lord and love the Lord your God. Now hold fast, it literally means cling to. It means to be stuck together. It's kind of like when you do your laundry and, a, and a, a sock gets stuck to a shirt or a sheet or something. You're just looking, where's my sock? And it's stuck to this deal. That's the, that's the image of this word. It means to be stuck together with the Lord. Love your Lord, your God means literally it's a, it's a covenant loyalty. It means to ally yourself with. Remember the Gibeons back several weeks we talked about? They allied themselves with Israel rather than the other gods. That's the word here. What he's, what he's communicating here is for us to do two things. To hold fast, to be united with Christ, to cling to him and to his word and to his design and to covenant with him that I will align myself and ally myself with him. Now let me give you one note of clarification. In this tipping point of lifestyle, we're not talking about perfection. We're talking about direction. There's a huge difference. We're not talking about perfection. We're talking about direction. Because none of us will be perfect. None of us will live a perfect life. Even when we say, yes, I want to align myself with the Lord and ally myself with him, we're still gonna stumble, we're still gonna fall, but it's about direction. And what that means is if the world in my flesh is this way and God's plan and purpose and his plan for my life is this way, what it means is when I align myself with the tipping point of lifestyle, I say, okay, I'm making the call, I'm making the decision, I'm gonna align myself with the way of God and I'm pursuing him 
I may still trip, I may still stumble, I may still blow it from time to time, but I'm going the right direction. I'm still pursuing Christ. I'm still being more and more conformed to the image of Christ rather than going the way of the world and being more and more conformed to the way of the world. So when we talk about lifestyle here, we're not talking about being perfect. We're not talking about legalism. We're not talking about self-right. We're talking about pursuing Christ and saying, I know your plan and your purpose for me is best. When, what you said in your word, how to live, that is the best. So I'm pursuing that because I want to experience the life and the fulfillment and the purpose and the joy that you have designed for me to experience. Here's the last one. Third tipping point. It's the tipping point of ministry. We saw this in Peter's life. Peter had failed Christ. And so you know in his heart that he's feeling like a failure and that Jesus Christ maybe doesn't love him, maybe does not accept him, maybe he's blown his chance to be a disciple and to be a follower of Christ. But Christ brings him back and not only reunites, unites in fellowship, but then gives him the opportunity to be active in ministry by saying, feed my sheep. And this is a great point of application for some of us this morning. I don't know what's gone on in your life. I don't know many of you, your relationship with Christ and any of your past. But maybe someone's here this morning that you said, you know what? I'm kind of like Peter. I've blown it time after time after time after time. I've really messed it up and there's no way Christ can use me. <laughs> there's no way he can use me anymore because I've blown it. Peter's our example that if we'll come back to this place, Christ will once again bring us to this tipping point of ministry and he will say in essence, the past doesn't matter, the failure doesn't matter. That's covered under the blood, that's covered under grace. I can still use you, so you need to make a decision. Do you love me? If you love me, then go feed my sheep. If you love me, I'll still use you and you can still be productive in service. Peter had the other problem, which was prejudice. There were certain people that he would not go to with the gospel. There were certain people that he thought were not good enough to receive the gospel. There were some people that he would not invest any ministry in. That's another point of application for us. Maybe we've got some of those prejudices too. Maybe not on purpose. It's just, we just do. He may bring us to that spiritual tipping point of ministry, just like he did with Peter, to say, are you willing to go wherever, to whomever, and to say whatever, whenever, to fulfill ministry? And we're at that tipping point where we have to say, yes or no. Here's the interesting part about Jenga. When you play this game, if you finish the game, you play it long enough to where you actually finish the game and don't do it on purpose like I did, you're gonna hit that tipping point. At some point, the game is gonna get to a place where you have no choice but to pull out the tipping point piece. And the same is true in life, in every one of these tipping points. We cannot 
get past any of these spiritual tipping points. Every one of us, it's inevitable in our walk to hit every one of these tipping points. So here's my prayer for each of us. When you encounter the tipping point of salvation, I pray you choose Jesus. When you're at the tipping point of lifestyle, I pray you choose holiness. And when you're at the tipping point of ministry, I pray you choose engagement and say yes. Would you bow with me? In a moment, we're just going to worship a little more. And I just invite you to allow the Spirit of God to speak to you, to minister to you. We'll have some prayer team members on the side. They would love to pray with you, talk to you. If there's something going on in your life this morning, maybe you're at one of those tipping points this morning. If so, allow the Spirit to move you and to make the right decision. You may just need to worship the Lord. This is going to be the time we can worship, you can sing, you can stay seated, you can pray, you can get with somebody else and pray. It's just, there's freedom in this place. Our prayer is that when we come together, that our hearts and spirits would be willing to experience the Lord and to allow him to minister to us. So Father, we pray now that you would invade this place with your presence. Father, that you would penetrate each of our hearts and spirits this morning and say and do whatever you need to do in our hearts and lives. Father, we don't know what needs to be done in each of our lives, but your spirit does. So may you speak, may you move, may we yield. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening. To learn more about River Fellowship in Amarillo, Texas, or to hear more messages, go to rfamarillo.org. Thanks, have a great week.